Good morning, everybody. <laughs> We're so glad y'all are here. Um, this morning, I'm going to be reading through all of Psalm 89. Um, it's a little bit of a long psalm, but there, there is a reason. Um, Mon, right now, Monty and I are reading through the psalms right now. And we read Psalm 89, and after we read it, I just turned to Monty and I said, what the heck? Like, like this psalmist is all over the place. And there's no transition in between him kind of, the, the, the three parts kind of that he reads through. And I'm thinking, I, I don't get it. But then the more I pondered it, I began to get it. I'm thinking, this is our relationship with the Lord. This is exactly the way we are. And I had this picture of the psalmist. So he begins out. In two-thirds of the psalm, he is just recalling everything he knows about the Lord. And then he, um, I can picture him just closing his, his book or closing whatever he's writing on and walking away. And then he, things get tough. Things are hard. They're in war. And, you know, in his eyes, he can't see any good, good, goodness of the Lord. And he comes back, and he sits back down, and he probably reads through everything that he just wrote or at some point. And he's mad, and he's angry, and he's like, but you, Lord. And he lets the Lord have it. So we go through this whole thing, and I think I can see him throwing his pen down and walking away. And then he comes back, and he looks at it again, and then he says, praise the Lord forever, amen and amen. And, and I just really loved it. So let's read through it. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. And in the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Salah. And that Salah means to stop. Take in what I just said. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the seas when its waves rise. You still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. 
the north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm, strong in one hand, high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him and the wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth, My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with a rod and their iniquity with stripes." But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. Salah. But now, you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his, his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls, and you have laid his strongholds in ruin. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of the neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes, and you have made all of his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have made him, you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth and you covered him with shame. Salah. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? 
How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created, all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? It's the law. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that throughout the ages, you have shown that you are a God who is faithful, steadfast, and a God that we can trust. Thank you that we can have a personal relationship with you, and we can be open and honest with you. Your word tells us that your ways are so much higher than our ways. But often we find ourselves in that same place as the psalmist, where we want to just shake our finger at you. But then we've too come to a place where we realize that you are God and the rock of our salvation. Lord, I pray for those who are in that place right now where they just can't see past their current circumstance and they don't see your good, who you are and it feels like you don't care. Lord, please give them strength to remember all you have done so that they can come full circle to know your love of them. Father, I pray that you would be with Monty as he brings us your word today. Lord, that you would open up our ears, our mind, and our heart to receive your word. And Lord, we do praise you forever. Amen and amen. Thank you. I get to kiss the the reader. Uh, You got to love her. That's uh, Lori's my wife. My name is Monty McCullough. <laughs> my name is Monty McCullough. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Hill, and it's, it's my pleasure to, to uh, bring the Word of God to you and, and listen to the Word read. Um, one of the things I wanted you to note from um, what Lori read for us is that Blessed are the people who know the festal shout. This is verse 15. Who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. Um, So after all of that, Salah. Um, This morning I want to talk to us about guarding our hearts. Um, This is coming from Luke 12. Um, This is Luke part 40, I believe. And um, 
Let me just ask us a few questions to begin with. What do you define as blessing? What do you define as a sign of God's steadfast love, his faithfulness, and his care? Much like you heard the psalmist. When you say, if only I had blank, then I'd be content, what goes in that blank for you? And when you're tempted to envy the life of someone else, just think about it. What is it that you're envying? And what causes you to question God's goodness and love when you do question that? What causes that? Uh, Or maybe a more provocative way of asking the question, what kind of Messiah do you want Jesus to be? Um, That question... uh, Paul Tripp, in one of his devotionals, was, was saying that many of us want a Prozac Jesus. We want somebody who just kind of eases and makes things go away, at least temporarily. So what kind of Messiah do you want Jesus to be? Well, we're, we're in Luke 12, so you can turn to, to Luke 12 if you have your Bibles and or your, your apps. Um, and uh, we'll be starting in verse 13. Uh, going through verse 21 to begin with. Then we're going to read another section. But uh, Luke 12, starting in verse 13. I want to set the stage for us a little bit here. Um, If you remember last week when Alan preached, he started with verse uh, chapter 1, I mean chapter 12, verse 1. And it it says, in the meantime, when many thousands of people had gathered together and they were trampling one another. So there are thousands of people here. And last week when Alan was preaching, he was pointing out to us that Jesus, even though there's thousands of people there, Jesus is talking to his disciples mostly. So I want to bring you that that context. So now in verse 13, this is the crowd is there. And and in verse 13, we find um, a man in the crowd that's around Jesus, telling Jesus to make a judgment on his behalf. And then Jesus declares it to be covetousness. So let's, um, let's start in, uh, in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, the crowd, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. He said, the, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, 
whose will they be? So, and then Jesus says this to the crowd. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There are three things in here that I want to highlight. First, the man is looking to Jesus to be an arbitrator on his behalf so that he can clearly have what his heart covets. We know this because Jesus reveals this to us, that that's the man's heart. For you and me, basically, this is the same thing as a prayer that you and I might offer up to God for things we covet or idolize. I say idolize because in Colossians 3, 5, the Apostle Paul tells us, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So Paul tells us that covetousness is idolatry. So covetousness is earthly and it's idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of anything as a God and more, more important or more worthy of that worship above God. That's what covetousness is, or idolatry. Second thing I want us to note from this passage we read is that we should note that Jesus calls us to guard our heart against having a covetous heart. How can you and I guard our heart against that? How do we discover where our own heart is to do that? How do we direct our hearts? The third thing I want us to notice is that Jesus says that this person that covets and lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. Clearly then, Jesus is telling us that being rich toward God is a guarding of our hearts. So how is one rich toward God? What what does that mean? Many of us will have a reaction that says, I'm supposed to give more money, and that's what it's all about. Is it? Is that what Jesus is really after here? That would make for a good giving sermon, and maybe uh, Alan would like that, but that's not what I think Jesus desires here. He is desiring that you and I be free of idols and be satisfied or at peace with his kingdom and not our own kingdoms. Now, where do I get that? Well, if you were here last week and, and you, you heard uh, Alan's sermon or you heard it online, um, in, the, in Luke 12, so far in Luke 12, we've seen in chapter 12, verse 4, Jesus tells his followers not to fear those who can kill the body. Uh, not to fear man, he then declares that God will not forget them. In chapter 12, verse 7, Jesus then tells them to fear not because they are of greater value to God than the sparrows that he cares for. And he gives us an example, the fact that God even knows how many hairs are on each one of our heads. He cares so much. And in chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, Jesus tells his followers to not be anxious or fear what to say when they're brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities. And he said 
the Holy Spirit will be with them and provide. So a few of the things that, that I wrote down that, that Alan noted uh, last week for us was that as we fear, our faith becomes more about an outward appearance than an inward transformation. That's what fear does to us. And then he also noted to us that God sees the condition of our hearts. He sees that. He knows where we are in our heart. And then one of the thing, another point that, that Alan made was that we should trust God for what he sees because whatever he's going to do is for our good. We should trust God for what he sees in our hearts. And then he, he tells us, if you remember the section about the unforgivable sin, those who commit the unforgivable sin, he tells us not to fear committing that unforgivable sin. And the way we don't fear that is acknowledging the goodness of God. Well, what Jesus has done through that part of Luke and what we just read a few minutes ago, he set the stage for this next section we're going to read, which is Luke 12, 22 through 34. He set the stage by addressing those things we fear or are anxious about. He tells the parable of the rich fool, explaining what his covetous heart causes him to fear and, and anxious about. And it also explains what the fool thinks will satisfy his anxiety and allow him to live at peace. So in this next section we cover, Jesus starts with the word, therefore. And I would point out that he is turning to his disciples now. So let's, let's pick up in verse 22. We're going to go through um, verse 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they will grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In verse 22, 
Jesus tells his disciples to not be anxious or fear about their lives, what to eat or where. In verses 25 and 26, he asks them if being anxious or fearing can add one single hour to the span of their life. And he tells them, if you can't do that little thing, which would little thing for the Lord, why are they anxious or fear about the rest of their life? Then in verse 32, he tells them to fear not, do not be anxious, because it is their Father's good pleasure to give them the kingdom, his kingdom. I also might add that I used to think, when I read this scripture, I used to think that when Jesus says, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? I used to think that he was basically chastising them for having little faith. You know, like when he was in the boat, in the sea, and waves, and the wind, and, and he gets up and he says, oh, you of little faith. I see it completely different now. He is saying, although you have little faith, he cares for you more than the grass and the birds and will clothe and feed you because that is who he is not because you have great faith, but because it's who God is. God is the one who will do this. So what makes us anxious in our lives? What is it that you and I fear? Why is the quest of the rich fool in each one of us? It is, isn't it? It's all about retirement. It's all about getting there and not doing anything. Why do we get anxious and covet what others have and more and think that is what we need and then we'll be content? So let me ask you some of these questions again that I asked in the very beginning. What do you define as a blessing? What do you define as a sign of God's steadfast love, faithfulness, and his care for you? When you say, if only I had blank, then I'd be content, what goes in that blank for you? And when you and I are tempted to envy someone else's life, what is it that we're envying? What causes any of us to question God's goodness and love? Whatever your answers are, Jesus is telling us that it all has to do with where our hearts are rich. Again, what does it mean to be rich toward God? This verse just captured me. You may say, well, there it is again, Monty. Jesus said to sell your possessions and give to the needy. It's all about giving money and getting rid of things, and then we'll be, and then we get the kingdom. My answer to that after studying God's word is not so fast. Not so fast. Might make a good giving sermon, but not so fast. Follow Jesus again through what we read. He is saying, coveting causes fear. God cares more for you than birds and lilies. He knows the very hair count on your head. He created you to need food and drink. He knows you need to be clothed. He provides more than that, and it is pleasing to him 
to give you his kingdom even if you have little faith. That's not something you can earn. And it's not something that fades or is gone tomorrow. Nothing can harm or lessen it. It's yours as a follower of Christ and secure. It can't be stolen and it will not be destroyed. Now, if you're following us online today or you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, Jesus Christ, consider the beauty of the offer from Jesus to forgive your sins because he paid for those violations that cause a separation between you and God. Jesus went to the cross for that single purpose. He did, not, he did that to make a way for our hearts to treasure God. Please come and see me or any of us if you'd like to talk about this and pursue a relationship with Jesus. But I ask each of us here, where is your heart? On what does your heart depend and seek for peace and contentment? Being rich toward God is what I believe Jesus' lesson is here. Here is the value of being rich toward God. Psalm 89 that Lori read for us is a perfect example of being rich toward God. It meditates on who God is. It declares who he is and what he has faithfully done. It declares his steadfast love. It declares who he is. Um, It remembers the blessings of the gospel in the midst of the duty to follow God's commands. Tim Keller, uh, Timothy Keller said this quote. He said, the gospel doesn't primarily give you a duty. It gives you a beauty. And the psalmist has remembered and declared the beauty of who God is and what God's promises are. Then the psalm also shows that the psalmist finds himself in the midst of asking God where that steadfast love and faithfulness is because it seems as though God has forgotten and he's absent. Then the psalm ends with blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. That was the value of being rich toward God. It is, the, it is being in pursuit of God. It's being in relationship with God. It's being immersed in God's word and his promises. You and I forget and are confused way too easily. If we are not rich toward God, our hearts are not guarded. If, you, if what you and I are hearing every day comes from conversations, news, comments, and the culture around us, and not from God's word directly, then we're, we are rich toward those other things speaking into our lives. That will breed anxiety, Worry and fear because of the unknown. Amen? Salah. There are so many reasons to be discouraged in this world. It's a wonder that anyone is happy. It's discouraging to watch your marriage turn cold and distant. 
It's disheartening to be betrayed by a dear friend. It's disappointing to lose a job that you worked at with such commitment for so long. It's depressing to face a sickness that you're not sure if you'll ever lick it. It's hard to face the rebellion and rejection of your children. It's discouraging to hear so often about corruption in politics and government. It's disheartening to have, uh, to be concerned about crime and injustice. It's tough to deal with the weakness of growing old. It's sad to see your church become more a place of controversy than gospel healing. It can seem as if everything in your life is in the process of decaying or in the danger of going bad. People die, dreams die, flowers die, and marriages, churches, jobs, and relationships go bad. So where is the encouragement to be found? In what we read today, it's found in grace. It's found in the beauty of the gospel as depicted by these beautiful words. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. These words tell you that it's not you against the world gone bad. Yes, you're a citizen of this world and you're touched by its brokenness. But you must remind yourself that you are a citizen of a different kingdom. Your king rules over everything that would discourage and disappoint you. And he rules for your good and his glory. What is out of your control and my control is under his rule. What you and I don't understand is under his careful administration. In one of my jobs that I had, um, one of the female co-workers under my management sent an email to my boss accusing me of calling her a few horrendous names, declaring things about her that were slanderous, and, uh, and saying she said that I made inappropriate sexual advances and suggestions. I should not know these things. Kathy. <laughs> Kathleen knows I should not know these things, Miss HR. I should not know these things because of proper protocols for such things. But my boss, basically in disbelief, called me the next morning and read the email to me. He should not have done that. That was the wrong protocol. This was an attack on my life, reputation, integrity, and livelihood. I remember distinctly when I received the call. I was on Georgetown Pike in my commute when he called me and read it to me. In my own amazement and disbelief that this person would say and do such a thing, I knew what protocols had to be followed as a manager. I knew what path this had to take regardless of truth or fiction. My habit for a commute was to listen to sermons and be immersed in hearing God's word and the good news of the gospel. And I had been doing that at the time he called me. You, you remember those Apple iPods with the little dial on the face or the little circular face? Remember those things? I had to pause that thing to pick up my cell phone and talk to him. 
the process of listening, the process of listening to sermons when I drove to and from work had the effect of having my mind and my heart stayed on the Lord. I was at peace when he called in the midst of this extreme threat. I told my boss, I, I know what you have to do and what your next step has to be. I can tell you that it's not true, but you have to do what you have to do. I understand that. The process has to play itself out one way or another. Thank you for calling me. And we hung up. I knew that all things needed to be as if I were not aware. I could not treat this employee differently for knowing. My boss sent the same email to HR, which he's supposed to do, and he let HR know that he had read that email to me. And so HR person knew that I knew. I can tell you that although bothered and confused, I was at peace knowing that this situation was under the careful administration of God, my father. Did I have other thoughts? like asking the Lord, this is for my good? This is for your glory? It sure doesn't seem like it. And I don't understand. And I don't know where this is going. But you're God. And I know who you are. Just like the psalmist. It didn't seem like it. It didn't feel like it. But if I'm being rich toward God, seeking him, reading his word, and consuming his thoughts and truth, I understand better he is who his word says he is. He is faithful, and his steadfast love never ceases. I have nothing to fear or be anxious about. Who knows? Maybe this whole thing enabled my boss or the employee or a HR person to see God. That's in his hands and for his glory, not for me to worry about. That employee was under my, my uh, administration for several more years. There were no formal charges against me my employment record or anything, the best I could determine from the meeting that HR had with the two of us together, she was not claiming those things anymore. She was claiming feeling unappreciated and overlooked for advancement. She never knew that I knew. I can only tell you that peace came from being rich toward God and not rich toward the world and its ways. My king was in control. I was not in control, but I was in his care. I would be in his care regardless of the outcome. That is the beauty of the gospel. And it enables me to do the duty of loving my neighbor as Jesus loved me. Don't be discouraged today. 
you can leave your what-ifs and your if-onlys in the hands of the one who loves you more than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, and he rules all things. I hope that if you were discouraged when you came in this morning or started listening, that you have more confidence in the one who is in control and administers all things, whether we understand his perfect way or not. We are usually not aware of the whys, but can be confident in the who if we are rich toward him. That is guarding our hearts. Giving is good, and giving is the right thing to do. We're commanded to do that, but I'm not convinced that's what this passage is primarily about. Our worldly kingdoms and possessions that we are too concerned about will become idols that we are rich toward if we do not guard our hearts from the fear and anxiety of this worldly kingdom. The way we guard our hearts is to be rich toward God, understanding his kingdom and trading ours for his. That's what selling your possessions and giving to the needy is about. It represents trading one kingdom for another. I will leave you with these two verses. Isaiah 26, 3. You, God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then Psalm 119, 165 Great peace have those who love your law, your word. Nothing can make them stumble. Is your heart being guarded? Are you in pursuit of guarding your heart? Uh, in the pursuit of guarding our hearts, let's go to God in prayer now. While we're bowing our heads and closing our eyes, I want to ask you to, to, to meditate on just a couple things here. Take a moment to declare to God that we are aware of his steadfast love and faithfulness. Then take a moment to declare that no one or nothing is as mighty as your Father, God. Then take a moment to declare his righteousness and just ways are for our good and his glory. Father, we do know you are pleased to give us your kingdom and that we should not be in fear or be anxious or worry. We know you understand the way each of us struggles with faith. We know you're sovereign and are in perfect control of millions of things at one time, yet you know when a single hair falls off our head. The worries of our lives are strong, Lord. We hear that you are stronger. Our infirmities and struggles want to cause our hearts to look toward a different solution than you. We do tend to want, to want a Messiah that will soften these things and remove them. We're asking you to open the eyes of our hearts and to show us yourself in such a way that we are assured regardless that you're, you are steadfast, faithful, and you want our good. Your glory is the only thing that will satisfy us, Lord. We would see that and know that you are pleased to give us your kingdom. Guard 
the heart of each of us today, Lord. Cause our hearts to be rich toward you. We love you, Lord. It is in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.